You're listening to the Intrepid Podcast, where three product strategists help entrepreneurs by giving perspectives on design, business, and technology. I'm Jim Forrest. I'm Stephen Roger. And I'm Justin Files. We'd like to welcome Infantry today. We have Trevor and Cam. Um, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And uh, do you want to just give us a quick little intro of what you do at Infantry and what Infantry is? Sure. So my name's Cam. I'm the new business director at Infantry. Uh, we're just over in the Leather District near South Station here in Boston. And um, we're a small agency of eight people. We've been around for seven years. And although we're not a product house, we're an advertising agency with traditional capabilities but also we're an emerging experience agency. So we are developing experience for brands and other agencies uh, that culminate in virtual reality, augmented reality, um, and basically how to connect human experiences with technology overall. I'm Trevor, I'm one of the associate content producer at Infantry. So I work alongside Cam with ideating on different potential pitches, different ways we can use the technology, whether that's for a pitch, whether that's for um, outbound content, pretty much anything that we could use this emerging tech for. Um, I work with Cam and the rest of the team to make that happen and ideate on that. So uh, at Intrepid, you know, we're a design firm as well. Um, and we always say that, you know, our product is our people. Um, we hire the you know best people in the industry. We can ideate very well and that sort of thing. What do you guys consider your product? Do you have any type of proprietary technologies that you guys do that other agencies don't use or anything like that? Yeah, so the funny thing about infantry is we always tell our clients and other agencies that we work with that we're not a product house. Mm. Even though we do develop software as a service, um, every single project that we get tapped into, whether it's branding and identity guidelines for startups or developing a brand experience for uh, Samsung or another big name client, every project is different and we always define the approach as what's going to be the best user experience. So I'd say our focus on user experience is probably our quote-unquote product. I love that. So I, I think we'll get into some of your actual projects that you've worked on recently because they, you know, we were talking before we started recording, they're some of the coolest things I've heard of <laughs> kind of coming out of the advertising space, just really stuff that, that we haven't seen a lot. Um, but can we talk a bit about user experience when it comes to uh, progressive technologies like VR? Um, there aren't really a ton of established guidelines there. And so how, how do you guys deal with that or how do you kind of work your way around designing that type of UX? I'll let, I'll let Trevor jump in here in a second. I think everyone has heard of user experience in the software um, state of mind as being like, you know, how does something flow correctly? Um, in terms of defining the user experience for an in-person experience, it really depends on the client. We've done projects out in San Diego for Comic-Con for History Channel where they basically said, hey, we're at Comic-Con, there's thousands of crazed fans here. We actually want to take the fans for as long as we can for the TV show Vikings. Um, that example itself, Vikings was coming out in season three. It was June. Comic-Con was happening in San Diego. It's the biggest one. And the client actually said, we want, we want to keep users here at our activation for as long as we can. So we said, okay, the user experience needs to be longer, needs to be more defined. So we actually set up um, three different stations to bring the users into the show. So ultimately, we created a season three trailer for the TV show Vikings with the people in it. So they would go through <laughs> three different 10-second scenes, and we would weave that all together. We would take a photo of them behind the green screen. We'd print out a large banner for them to take home as a takeaway. Then we also gave them drinking horns to go drink around San Diego after the whole thing. Basically, the user was on site going through hair and makeup, war paint, all of that. Um, and they were on set with Vikings, that was the name of the activation, but they were on set for 45 minutes. Wow. So that sort of experience was different because the ask was a little bit different um, and different scenarios obviously required different so, so let me hop in there. So you have eight people working at Infantry. Mm -hmm. what, what, what type of roles do you guys assume on a project like that? So yeah. from ordering horns to green screens, <laughs> yeah. etc. help us understand that. So a lot of times we, Infantry, will play the role as a, as a vendor, whether it's a white label or an equal partner, um, and we do a lot of the technology execution. Um, I will say our team is extremely hardworking. Each one of us <laughs> takes on our own different department. Mm -hmm. So we are our own bosses, our own teams sometimes. Um, but when we have a project like that, we all sit down at the table and say, all right, we all have different backgrounds, different thoughts. We've all seen different things. What the hell can we do here? 
Um, so our brainstorms are very fun. We often have beers, we often play pool, we're playing ping pong, we're going for a walk, we're playing with our office dog just to sort of drum out these ideas. Um, but it's very, very complex project to project what happens. Who, who ordered the horns? <laughs> right. Let's get to the horn thing. <laughs> yeah. The horn. That was, that was from the client, so that was part of the show. And the show, they actually drank from horns. So history itself gave us, gave us some content and said, hey, we want to partner with all these bars. And then we want people to go drink with these bars because then obviously people are going to be like, hey, why you are you horn? drinking from <laughs> a Viking horn? Um, so that, that came directly from the client. So it sounds like you haven't like really let the ideas be restricted by what your capabilities are. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that and when something feels like it's outside of your comfort zone, how you approach it? Yeah, I think in this industry, um, being a small company of eight people that's been around for seven years, um, all of us sort of came from larger agencies where we wanted to cut the red tape. So for us, it's always been let's work as hard as we can and do the biggest work that we can, but also work smart in the way that we can be competitive and sort of streamlined. So we obviously don't want to compete with Hill Holiday for doing film commercial type stuff or traditional media, um, but we want to be that cutting edge digital agency here in Boston that can do stuff that these big agencies can't. So for us, that's really been our bread and butter because we can come directly at a big client and say, we can do this stuff that your current agency can at a fraction of the cost faster and better and more fluid than who you're working with right now. And you were saying that, that that starts not when you have an engagement with the client, but you can kind of go up to something that, that Hill Holiday is also pitching for mm-hmm. um, and pitch in a, in a way that nobody else is going to do that. Can you talk about some of that stuff that you've done in the past? Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of agencies all over the country that are doing amazing things. And so for us, that really starts on we need to keep track of what's going on in the industry. Um, from San Francisco to Chicago to Austin to Miami to New York, there's a lot of agencies like us, and we really respect their work. Um, I'll say an agency like AKQA out of New York, out of Washington, they have offices all over. They're really defining what it means to transcend technology with like a human experience in a physical space. And that's something that we really look up to as an agency and sort of say, you know, how can we envelope some of those ideas and thinking into our current work so that we can have those conversations with clients. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's, um, it's us talking or sharing about things internally and then saying, trying to create those conversations through our blog or through our social media or just in casual conversations with clients. I mean, like, oh, have you seen this article? Or reaching out to commercial real estate companies saying, hey, there's a huge trend right now in your industry about uh, using VR to sell spaces. Have you guys thought about that sort of thing? So for us, it's it's staying ahead of the curve, but also being relevant to, to where those industries are right now, if that makes sense. So um, on your website, you guys talk about yourselves as an advertising agency and also an experience agency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk about why you haven't dropped one. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> we actually just launched our new website last week. Our website was super old mm-hmm. and really, really didn't envelope from that. When Infantry started, we were a digital agency websites and apps. Now everyone's developing those sort of things. Um, through those years, we did a lot of branding, a lot of startup work, a lot of small um, digital integrations for, for clients. Through those relationships, people moved to New York, people moved to LA, and they generally asked us, hey, can you guys do this sort of live streaming thing to YouTube for Samsung? Can you do this? And we got more into the experience um, stage, I'll say. Right now, we're sort of defining ourselves as a digital workshop, a digital experience workshop. Mm. So there's a couple different buzzwords there that we'll, we'll, from time to time, we'll go into our Google Analytics and be like, how are people finding us? Like, <laughs> what, what words are they using? So um, for the most part, I'd say we're a digital experience agency now. Mm. I like that, like a digital maker space. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. So are there actually organic people coming into your contact form and saying, I've never met you guys before, or is it all like agency-related connections? Or? I, I would say about 60 to 70% of our work right now is direct client work, um, and probably 20 to 30% is agency-related. Um, the trend for us right now, because we've been making a lot of changes over the past few years, people are starting to find us and be like, ooh, you guys are interesting. What more can you potentially do with us? And that's, that's great to see because that's what every company wants. They want that organic inbound mm. type stuff. So when you do pitches, um, so when you do the experience for the end user, 
they're really unique experiences. Mm -hmm. How much does that translate into when you're doing pitches and when you're trying to engage clients? Yeah, um, we're trying to create conversations because a lot of the, the big clients that we've worked with in the past, HSBC, Delta, um, you know, History, History Channel, Air Jordan, a lot of these big name clients have agencies that they go to for certain things. And as you guys know, it's all relationship based, mm -hmm. right? Like it's all who you know, how you know them. Um, and a lot of that just comes over time. So for us reaching out or just trying to be innovative or chirping at them on mm -hmm. Twitter, whatever, whatever it be, we're trying to create those conversations. Um, and eventually it's funny cause we'll do that. And then three, four five months later, as that trend continues, they'll reach back out and be like, Oh, sorry, we didn't get back to you on that first email, but now we have a question about this or that. So. Mm -hmm. Um, that's great to see. To jump in there, I think it's interesting because when I first came on board a little over a year ago, the whole idea was we're not a product house, but all of the big projects we've worked on are so unique that a lot of different big companies that come to us looking for a pitch, they kind of want the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so we might show off our capabilities and say, you know, we did this experience for Air Jordan, we did this experience for Vikings. Let's say if another show were to come to us, like Game of Thrones comes to us and says, we want to do what you did for Vikings, that's not going to happen. Right. So it's interesting how some of these unique experiences we've built, we're not going to replicate. Right. So so it's funny to move forward and build something new every time. It's, it's a great segue, which is, I think, about process, right? Mm -hmm. Where clearly you guys are approaching things differently every time. Can you talk a little bit about, like, is there a framework that you work off of? You know, is it completely loose and crazy pool thoughts? I mean, yeah, it's, I'll, t I'll tell you this, and this will come directly from our creative director and co-founder. If we were a product house, we'd probably make a lot more money. <laughs> uh, because every client at one point or another in the digital experience side of things, everyone's wanted to do something with RFID or near field communication somehow. And everyone wants an iPad app for this experience so they can gather data or a touchscreen or a display. So if we were a product house in that sense, like some other companies in our, our space that we have come across, um, we might be doing better, but we really like to be original from project to project. I mean, that really helps us keep things fresh. Um, and again, when we brainstorm, we really pull from all of our different collective backgrounds about what we can do for that given one. So, Are you all working on the same project? I mean, so ultimately, do you have split teams, multiple projects going at once, or just one at a time? With with eight people having film capabilities, having um, mobile app capabilities, having website capabilities, um, and then obviously having experiential. I'd say the big ones like experiential productions, we're all in on. If it's just an app or it's just a website, those are big projects themselves, but typically that's just the creative and then the dev teams together. So how did you make the decision to not scale the company and not say, you know, for every client that we get in, we could add an employee or two and then grow it and sort of keep to, so you started with what, four people was it? Uh, it started with um, Kevin, our creative director, and Derek, our, our technical director, mm -hmm. who were both freelancing for some of the bigger companies, uh, Modernista, when they were around in Boston. Um, and we actually just got our first client on a retainer. And we've been approached a number of times in the past couple of years about being acquired by bigger agencies. And that's very flattering. Like that's, that's awesome. But I think from Kevin and Derek's standpoint is that they've won a lot of work on their own. Their first client they won was Bombay Sapphire. Um, and then they Not went too shabby. To, yeah. And they went on to do work with Guinness. Um, and we got a lot of alcohol clients right out of the gate doing simple brand stuff. And I think for them slowly, they've added a friend or two from outside uh, Manny, our art director, was a mutual friend. Paul, our executive producer, he was brought on eventually as more clients, more needs were, were happening. Um, I came across inventory on like the seventh or eighth page of Google when I was <laughs> in, in my job search. And when I came across them, I think this was 2014, their last blog post was in like 2011. And I sent them an email and I was like, hey, it seems like you guys might need a marketing guy. Uh, are you guys still around? If so, I'd love to have lunch or something. Um, they reached they reach back out. So slowly we've been adding people. Trevor's obviously our latest addition as we've gotten more into developing virtual reality and augmented rea reality with HoloLens and Vive. Trevor's been uh, incredible to have as a content producer mm -hmm. to test things and hack things. 
Should we get into some of the projects that you've done there? There are some that I just think are really neat. We could probably talk about for a million hours. Of course, we don't want to productize it through our speech and you know mess up your vibe or anything like that. But um, you were talking a little bit about, I think one thing that people think a lot about when they think about VR um, is real estate and, and how that's already being commercialized. Um, maybe let's talk about that for a little bit and then we can talk a little bit more about the crazy innovative stuff you guys are doing as well. Yeah, for some of the real estate pitches we looked at, they all kind of started by us talking just on our blog about how VR can be used, mm. how different companies can utilize it beyond just Oculus making a new game or Vive, mm. using it for some more playful experience, um, even though VR in itself is pretty playful, mm -hmm. uh, but how can it be used in industries where you might not think about it being used, and real estate just instantly was at the top of the list. Um, there haven't been that many innovators in it so far. Um, if you go on Steam right now, looking at some different real estate apps that we even looked at for inspiration, IKEA has one, um, but it's not really real estate, it's more showing off their product. Um, so we were approached by a real estate company and they said, what, how, what would it take to make this experience that you're talking about. So we ideated on it for a little while. Um, we jumped into VR. I jumped in and was in houses that I can't afford and <laughs> tried to build houses I can't afford. And we came up with this experience that we were pretty excited about um, in the idea of not only touring spaces that pre-existing spaces in virtual reality, but also having the ability to manipulate a space, mm. um, being able to manipu manipulate location, um, different product specs, wood floors. I mean, it's amazing. Like we have one demo that we show off right now and it's amazing. Actually, Justin, I think uh, you, I you were into it at one point. Yeah. It was, an, I would have bought it if I had <laughs> like 12.13 million dollars or whatever yeah. it cost. But. but it's amazing how exciting it is to like change out countertops in virtual mm -hmm. reality. So I think what I'm really excited about VR, especially in real estate, is that there's so much to be excited about, even as plain and simple it really is. You know, rendering you can look at on a screen, you can change a floor, you can change whatever you want. But to be able to be in a space, mm -hmm. I think that's the really exciting part. And I think companies need to start getting more excited about it too, because I think internally, at least, we think this could be the next thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, you can imagine if you're an interior designer trying to explain to somebody who doesn't have a visual sense, mm -hmm. right. like, no, these mm -hmm. are the, you know, the floor, the layers, right. or the countertops we need to use. Imagine how easy it is to sell that person. You just throw them into the space. Exactly. And it's, I think it's just a totally different experience. It's totally different. And I think one of the interesting things too that you bring up a good point is that whether you're looking for a house, you're looking for an apartment, looking for a commercial space, if you're in there with a realtor or a broker, they're going to tell you this would be great for a restaurant and this would be great mm -hmm. for um, a tech space. Even I'm sure when you guys came in here, it was this would be great for something. Yeah. But thinking that it would be a great space for something isn't as powerful as looking at a space and then, I mean, that could be, you know, we've even looked at AR in the future, mm -hmm. that having something that you can see is be in a physical space and have it change around you that right. what the potentials are. But especially in virtual reality, put throwing on a headset and looking at either a space that's going to be built or pre-existing space and looking at the possibilities for what a space could be used, it's crazy. Like, any, anyone can get excited by that. Well, well it's interesting because realtors dress homes to sell them, mm -hmm. right? So ultimately, it's like we're talking about a digital dressing of some sort. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like two paths. Either it's a predefined space that you know how it's going to look and you can really customize it. Mm -hmm. Or there's this kind of jankier space, which is the AR space, which is right. Justin, go home, look at your apartment, put on, you know, whatever. Use AR or VR and look at your space and yeah. just see what happens in that space, and which is... It's harder to customize with technology at the moment, right? So, funny that you mentioned that. <laughs> Where the pitch ultimately fell apart was not in the fact that VR development is super expensive. It was um, the president, who obviously has been in the industry a long time, um, he really he boiled it down to this. When I can show somebody a physical space and they can smell and they can hear and they can feel the wind and the sun on their face, and I can give them a firm handshake and look at them in the eyes, He's like, that to me is way more powerful than having a sales tool that utilizes VR to show somebody space. We didn't pitch it as 
this is going to replace the buying experience. Mm. We said this is going to be a sales tool for you to get to that eventual handshake. That's how I tried to position it. I said, think about, you know, if you're trying to show a space in California or Florida or New Hampshire or Maine or New York, you can jump to four or five, however many of these spaces you want in the span of minutes, as opposed to having your CMO, your CEO, your CEO, and your human resources lead all together flying to these different places to check them out. Photos and video walkthroughs are cool, but when you can have an actual sales tool that will get you to that handshake a step faster than doing it the old fashioned way, yeah. I was like, you can't really put a price on that. Ultimately, it didn't come to fruition, and that's, it is what it is. I think that's due to lack of vision on his part, not the mm-hmm. vision you guys Well, that's had, the hard sure. thing about working in these emerging technologies is like, mm-hmm. you almost need a meta VR to show them what VR is, you know? Like, you need yeah. to put them in that position and until you have it it's hard to put them in that position well, let's let's dissect that a little bit right sure. because I, I tend to think that when we think about a journey map of, of how people buy property you know maybe this realtor was thinking about a very specific local use case right. um, but how about people who move around the country or around the world right. right I mean there's a huge use case of say you're moving to California not so easy to always just go hop over and get the handshake or smell the house right. um, but many people operate this way right mm-hmm. and especially with the way all of our kind of peers are working these days. I mean, this is going to be pretty huge. I I couldn't agree yeah. more. I think it's I think it's a matter of time. Um, I think it's also a matter of Boston being an innovative city yet somewhat fiscally conservative <laughs> in their old school of thinking. It's like such a weird dichotomy um, this town that we live in. Like we're really fresh and forward thinking, but at the same time, we're hesitant to be the first to do something in mm-hmm. an industry, and that's just the way Boston is. Um, little bit backwards in its thinking so eventually somebody will do this and they're gonna get a whole lot of accolades for it mm-hmm. I, I was out in San Francisco and I was working at startups at the time and I was sitting next to um, some guy who was working in startups too and he was like the way that I see it is that the West Coast we create like all the fun and the hookup apps yeah. <laughs> and in Boston you guys are figuring out like how to s- cure cancer yeah it's like <laughs> and it must be it's interesting for all of us working in experience mm-hmm. selling Real, like these ideas obviously like we are with you on this right. real estate idea like clearly that's the way it needs to go um, let's talk about that a little bit what's it like being an innovative company in a conservative town I mean you, you <laughs> tell us right yeah. um, it's it's tough um, because a lot of the a lot of the conversations we have internally we're really excited about but we're worried about when we bring those to the table how these sort of antiquated leaders of a company or an industry might feel about them. Yeah. And I, I get that. There's definitely a generational gap uh, being a millennial or whatever the hell we are now. Um, it's tough. Like, I'm I'm old-fashioned. Like, I love handshake. I love going hiking. I love unplugging. And I imagine the older generation feels more so in that way because I can also utilize technology. I know how to, how to use it to benefit my life. Um, I think being a company full of the same sort of individuals, it's tough because we never want to use tech, we never want to put technology um, as a reason to do something. We want it to enhance that given experience. So for us, it's, um, it's a little bit worrisome to, to be seen that we're only throwing that technology out for a sales pitch, you know? Right. So, I don't know, how do you guys feel? Well, I, I mean, the, one of the big questions I have within experience design is, to me, I love the IDEO approach to experience design, where it's like, you, you're sitting in the hospital room and seeing what's happening yourself, you check yourself in as a patient, like, I love those types of stories, where, you know, could you go back to the same realtor and say, I get where your, where your priorities are. We're an experienced company. We've rethought about this. Mm-hmm. Here's the second pitch. Doesn't have VR at all. Like, what? Where do you limit the amount of mm-hmm. pitching and kind of repitching to people? Yeah, we're we're definitely honest about it. So, yeah. um, there's been circumstances where clients come to us and said, "Hey, we want to use VR because it's the latest and greatest buzzword out there." And we've gone, honestly, you know, VR is awesome, but we really don't think it's the right tool for this sort of yeah. thing. We get that with apps a lot still. It's yeah. just like, hey, we need an app. Okay, well, what are your business goals? Uh, get new customers. I mean, it's yeah. really not <laughs> terribly well suited for that exact. Yeah, and a couple of years ago it was, you know, hey, we want to use beacons for everything. And yeah. it's like, well, the use cases are smaller. Mm-hmm. But I actually think that's where being in a city like Boston helps is 
there's a certain sense of pragmatism that we all bring to things where just because the technology is sexy, we don't necessarily want to use it. Mm -hmm. And so for you guys, what you were talking about, the example with Vikings, is you you sort of know how to do all of that, but does it really make sense to just do it again just because all of the pieces are there? Right. Where it sounds like what you want to do is then put something new together for the next client that wants an experience. Yeah. We, we definitely want to leave an impact on people uh, by utilizing technology in innovative ways. Um, we don't want that to ever drive the experience and we won't ever repackage that. I don't think there's a lot of benefit in doing so. Um, and then when technology isn't applicable, I think Boston's a really honest town. Like, you guys have told clients that, hey, listen, I don't think an app is the right way to do it for you. Not in a pretentious way. And we just say, hey, we think there's a better, cheaper, maybe easier way for you to do this right now. I think you're looking at step three when really you should be focusing on step one or two mm. right now. And let's not forget that, you know, being in a town like that can be an awesome challenge. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we're in a position to, if you look at just the companies that are around us, you know, healthcare companies and and uh, finance companies and medical companies and other tech companies that might be in a different industry mm-hmm. to actually affect change on those industries, which I think is, that's kind of the position you want to be in. Right. When, well, when you're in San Francisco and you're just building the 20th Tinder, are you really changing things <laughs> anymore? You're not. Like, like Justin and I got really excited last week because a friend of mine who works at MGH sent me this uh, hospital design uh, article that was in the New York Times where the interesting thing, and I feel like it's you guys are on the... You guys are on the like the crest of the wave right now, right? right. Where um, in about five years, all hospitals are going to have to be, they're going to be rated with like MPS scores. Mm-hmm. So experience design is going to be what they're actually rated on, right? Mm-hmm. So I tend to think that finding industries that have experience design as a mandate, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I'm not going to pay my copay and give this hospital a five star rating right. if there's things beeping <clears throat> everywhere. So it's like there, there's going to be a lot more people <laughs> saying. All right. Actually, maybe we weren't as progressive as we thought we should have been five years ago. Right. Um, so it's like, it's a question of, are, is VR too early, and not just in Boston, right? Like, you know, we're we're dealing with this quite a bit. It's like, what what is your what is your go to technology? Because like VR clearly is maybe a stretch goal for a company. I really think. There's a lot of cool technologies out there. One thing that we bought onto really early was this thing called Myo, M-Y-O. And it's an armband that basically reads mm. your, your arm muscles. We were like, oh man, like conferences, event work, like this is going to be huge. Like you can drive a PowerPoint presentation just with the flick of a wrist or, you know, whatever. Um, and so we, we got a couple in our office and we sort of bought into it. And then as we included that into pitches, there wasn't really a big reception from clients. And... I think it was because maybe the technology wasn't quite ripe yet. Um, and whenever something like that in an industry happens, it's almost like you're on two different ends of a rope. And one person on one end flicks the rope, and that wave takes some time to travel to the other mm-hmm. end. I think agencies and companies that are developers or designing these experiences are on one end, and clients tend to be on the other. Um, and it definitely takes some time for that wave to, to roll to through. Right. Yeah. So, so, so what's, what's your, I, I guess... Maybe that's a stretch goal for all of us right. in, in digital. What, what's the kind of your bread and butter that you'd say, like, percentage-wise, everyone asks you to do X? Yeah, I mean, right now it's AR and VR, for yeah. sure. Is it cool? Yeah, which, like, is, which is great. I think the challenge is figuring out the best way to use those, not yeah. necessarily how, if to use it, but before we say if to use it, say, all right, if we're going to use it, how are we going to use mm. it? It's funny. The other night I watched Vox had this special about really bad design doors. I did know <laughs> I watched a six minute video about doors, but I That's ended up watching it. And I forget the psychologist's name, but he wrote a, des- a book about design and human centered design. A big half of it is all about like discoverability and the experience with something. And I think that's one step that we look at when it comes to building VR and AR experiences. Like when we were building this project for Marvin, before we even started to develop anything, we probably spent two or three days downloading, playing different AR or VR games, even AR games I've jumped into. And we just wrote down a list of things you can do. Like what's a list of things you can do with VR? Not like what games or what apps you can use, right. but you can grab things, like you can pull things. Yeah. yeah, so what's the UI, but what's also the the motions? Mm. So I think that was a really 
like interesting kind of process because it's stripping away the you know the the zombie game it's stripping away the puzzle game or whatever the experience is right. it's stripping that away to what are you actually doing yes and moving forward for different like pitches and projects we've been developing it's interesting to kind of look at that first because as people start to use these things they're using it without realizing it and they're doing things that like we may talk about without realizing it um so like with ar you have all these big uses of ar that people use like every day and they don't realize it so whether it's Pokemon Go has been crazy popular, Snapchat filters, you know, even looking, I, I did a post about it over the summer, we're talking about even like backup cameras mm. on a car. Mm, yeah. When it has lanes, that's still AR in some respect. So people will use these things without realizing it, and they ask for it without realizing it. I was talking to Kim about it, how like when Minority Report was huge, and when any type of tech comes out, they're like, oh, is this the minor- Is this when we get Minority Report? Right. And it's like, no, like not yet, but it'll get there. <laughs> like just be patient. So when we go to do like an AR picture, we talk about AR or VR, it's looking at the experience and not just the tech, but what will people actually be doing with it and if that is compelling in and mm. of itself. So you guys did um, something really interesting with the marketing windows and doors is combining what people are doing physically with their digital experience. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so the first big project, it was um, actually for the parent company, A.W. Hastings. They wanted to open up a, uh, a brand experience showroom. Um, so this, this actually started just over two years ago, almost three years ago now. Um, when we met with them, they said, hey, you know, we keep building a sandbox and then our competitors will build a similar sandbox to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their primary line, Marvin Windows and Doors, very premium brand, started out in Minnesota, obviously really big here in the Northeast and a lot of homes, architects really like using it as well. Um, they came to us and said, we keep building a sandbox, our competitors build a sandbox. And we just said, well, why don't we build you a sandcastle? Because that's not so easily replicated, <laughs> right? And they were like, awesome, like, let's build a sandcastle, all of this cool stuff. So they were opening a, a space called Seven Tide in Seaports right next to the Boston Design Center. And that's with reflex lighting and another client that's um, Wolf Sub-Zero, mm. Clark, it's for Clark, Wolf and Sub-Zero. Um, so they all share a co-space, but what we did for Marvin um, is we helped design a digital space for them. So it's obviously a guided experience, whether an architect goes in there or a couple looking to renovate and build their own home that wants, is thinking about using Marvin Windows and Doors. We developed a number of digital experiences as phase one, one being a high-def projector on a 14-foot smart wall that literally casts a life-size window. So if you're six foot four, like I am, and I'm washing dishes, I'm saying, what is the correct size that, mm. I, that I want to see a window? Is it two feet high, is it three feet high, whatever. So you can actually um, design that in one of the rooms. And it's all controlled via an iPad app that we uh, built for them. So they can essentially go through every single one of their custom-made windows and doors and you can design your custom window and or door. The second thing is you can go over to the tactile table and take actual pieces of molding or casing, different colors, and you can drop them on the table on the bottom, it's QR code, and the table will read the QR code and then cast up a 360 animated design of whatever sort of combination of your thing. So cool. There's over 10, <laughs> yeah, there's over 10,000 actual mock-ups um, that you can design using all these gilded pieces, but uh, basically that helps hone in on what you want, what sort of windows and or doors you want. Um, so husband and wife can do that at the same mm-hmm. time if they want to. And then the second sort of experience is we're developing a passbook thing where people can go in and you can actually save stuff and then you'll get a curated email about your experience there, what you selected, your mm-hmm. sort of favorite things as well. Um, phase two is we're building them a virtual reality escape the room type thing using Marvin Windows and Doors. Mm-hmm. So it's very cool, it takes place in a 10 by 10 space and we actually did an escape the room thing. This is one of our brainstorm things. <laughs> so we took our team, didn't escape the room, said okay, what do we like about this? What do we not like about this? And then um, Kilo, uh, his real name's Kevin, our interactive developer, designed all of this stuff in a virtual reality setting and we had the client come in and test it out. Mm-hmm. First person, it took them 13 minutes to do it and then the <laughs> second person, it took them two minutes to do it because they wow. watched like five or six people do it mm-hmm. in between. So, uh, But that's just for, that they're gonna take that onto a, a road show. So they're gonna go to all these stops and talk to blue collar workers, architects themselves, and just let them try it out so they can get ingrained in the brand and everything. So 
That's now, awesome. just to kind of tie those things together, we've been talking a little bit about you know real estate, entertainment, kind of the things that, that people are comfortable with now when it comes to VR. Um, but you had mentioned something about hospitals. And I know you guys have done something with, with hospice care. Um, we're really interested in sort of progressive technologies and how they can apply um, to people and remove a lot of stigma around illness and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked to Dean, I think it was on the last podcast from yep. Luminopia, um, and he was talking about how if you're making a, a headset uh, to help kids treat their ocular disorder, you don't want them to feel like they're you know strapping an iron lung on themselves mm-hmm. uh, every single day when their friends are around or something like that. So mm-hmm. can you talk about a bit about your hospice care work? So um, my girlfriend's grandfather is 94 and he's in a nursing home and he was a World War II vet. He was 18. He was a bubble gunfighter, right? Wow. So he has some crazy like long-standing PTSD. Like has these sort of daydreams and. That really got me thinking one day, and I started reading a plethora of articles. Um, again, we're not the first people to think about this in, in any sort of means, but I started looking into how hospice care could could relieve PTSD in the military. Um, and then there was articles that brought me into sort of long-standing hospice care, how you can show somebody what the beaches of Hawaii look like, or mm. Thailand, or some of these people in the older generation that maybe didn't get to travel as much as our generation can. Um, so it was really interesting to hear some of the thoughts from psychologists, from developers, from uh, nurses and doctors about how VR um, can not just be strapped to somebody's head, but how it can be sort of a healing tool. Um, we're not quite in that space. We haven't pitched, but I'm really interested in, in where VR can be a tool for healing in that sort of right. I, I was at South by Southwest and they had their the first VR AR convergence mm-hmm. festival mm-hmm. Um, and there were some great presentations on how they took war veterans experiences and kind of re they retold the story mm-hmm. so one example was someone lost their their infantry mm-hmm. and there was one survivor so that guy who was the one survivor they, they were using VR to kind of reshape that story so his emotions connected to it were different so you know either was he saving the troop or you know like did he did he see the the way that that battle went down differently so he could live with it in a in a easier way right right um which i felt like when we were talking about vr etc and what so many people are talking about it they think about entertainment right or i mean vr porn was huge at south by southwest too like they don't necessarily think about, like Justin's saying, like some of the healing qualities, like some maybe some of the more Boston type of things yeah. that they want to do yeah. it with, right? Um, yeah. And, well, and I think it's cool when you talk about the, the Boston things because so much of the area around us is focused on healthcare, and healthcare leads into sort of this quantified self and this wanting to understand ourselves as human animals. Right. And when you start plugging those two together you get a lot of benefits. So we had a a client that we were talking to recently that uses biofeedback and video games to help children regulate their emotions. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And that's where you like really get into not just having an experience for those couple minutes that you're in it, Mm -hmm. but having an experience that then changes how your body functions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think you guys are all right and we're all of like minds here. I think VR is vastly underrated right now as a, as a healing tool. And I think majority of people see, see it as a gaming thing, um, but there's ample opportunity, probably here in Boston, to do some really cool, innovative stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so back to the kind of the window project, I'm really intrigued by that. Yeah. So was the client just super innovative and they were like, we want to buy into a, a touch table, a full display and now the escape the room or like how much convincing? And yeah, it really takes a while to, uh, to digest sort of what we pitch. Um, the thing that we run into a lot is we have to do it in baby steps. Mm. Like we can't come out swinging for the fences with clients. <laughs> but I'm sure same with you guys. I mean, you guys probably already have more fresh mind minded clients, but for us, Sometimes we deal in some really antiquated industries, so we have to give them a carrot before we can give them a whole steak, right. you know? Yeah, I'm curious I, about your strategy on that yeah. one. So, like, I mean, it seems it's like so they, hard. They, yeah. they got everything at the end if you're doing Escape the Room. So it's right. like, how did you kind of work them yeah. into your... <laughs> I mean, it's all relationship-based. Um, it's not just a lot of dinners and a lot of swanky gifts. It's like really getting to know them as people. Like, yeah. your best clients are the ones that you're gonna to get to know as people first, right? Like outside of work, who are, <laughs> what do you do? Our last, cl- uh, our last 
dinner with them before we started doing this Escape the Room VR thing. We sat down there and we learned that the president of the company did like a 48-hour death race from San Antonio to San Francisco and was going 150 miles an hour in a Porsche the entire way. Like He spent like 20 minutes talking about that stuff and we got to know them as people first. We didn't talk about work for the whole span of three to four hours. We just learned that you know these guys are cyclists and they do 50-mile bike rides on the weekends from the Adirondacks to Lake George, whatever it was. Like We got to know them as people and I think when you establish a rapport and trust like that, um, they're more open to hearing your ideas. You almost, this is almost like metaphorical for us talking about <laughs> VR this whole time. I mean, you know, when you talk about, um, the, you know, perhaps some of our societal issues or something like that, you know, like xenophobia and that sort of thing, is being able to actually meet people and, and learn about people, uh, whether it's from a, that type of social perspective or from a business perspective, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you have a client that's in China, being able to meet with them weekly in person and in, in a, something that's not a computer or something like that, right. is that going to change the way that we interact with other humans? God, I hope at least it at least does here <laughs> in Boston. Um, I think when people get unplugged and they start reconnecting back as humans, uh, magical things can happen. So whenever we stand up from our computers and we say no phones, no computers for this brainstorm, and we sit there and we look each other in the eyes, I think those sort of fresh ideas come out a little bit better, and I hope that's um, that's a solution down the road. And the irony is you have to strap two computers on your face to get there. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so I want to throw a wild card in, which is about the sensory experience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you had said that you love nature. I, I sure. tend to think that, you know... Feeling the wind, the smelling yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Um, Give me, like, one of the wackiest ideas you guys have had in kind of throwing a sensory experience into that VR space. Yeah. Well, uh, over the summer, I actually came across a company called The Void, who does just that. Um, They're based out of Utah, funny enough. And they build a physical space that is... uh, I don't know if you've seen it. They did did a collaboration with Madame Tussauds Mm -hmm. in New York for, um, for the release of the Ghostbusters film that came out this summer. And they will build a VR experience that directly mimics um, a physical space. So for this one, they did Ghostbusters. So they have all proprietary hardware. Um, and it's just it's just really cool because they'll use physical pieces. You know, you're opening a door. Mm-hmm. Um, you have steam coming at you, different things. So I think that's something that they their vision for that is to be like the IMAX of that experience. So mm. you go to one of their, like a physical location and then you can play their experiences. But I think beyond that, there are ways to use these like crazy sensory things in other ways. Um, I know we've talked about even like traveler things that you know you have all these different experiences. Yeah. We actually do a demo. Um, Justin, you hopped on the plank when you oh came over. God. Uh, do you want to just you say talk your, about yeah, you talk about your experience with it? It was unbelievable because I wasn't controlling my reactions, which was just uh, is crazy. So it's you, you. Is this your demo? Uh, this thing was awesome. This, this is already a pre-existing demo. So yeah. you get into an elevator. You put on the mask and you get into an elevator, um, and uh, the elevator takes you up. Uh, like really long ways so like you, there's all this anticipation the door is open and there's no floor there there's just like a flagpole sort of thing or like a, an <laughs> iron beam standing out um, and the goal is to walk to the end of the iron beam but what these guys did was they made a plank on the ground that was exactly in the same proportions as the iron beam so you're walking on this thing uh, you guys should have put a couple fans below. I, mean, I would have just. Well, you had the headphones on. So you I had the headphones on, which was crazy. You can hear the streets, and as you turn, it all changes. And you're walking, and as you start to lose your balance, you you your body just doesn't understand that you're three inches off the ground. Right. It yeah. just doesn't yeah. get it. Mm-hmm. And you and then at the end, I remember like I kind of got to the end, and you're like, jump off, jump off. I'm like, I can't. And <laughs> I jump off, and I just kind of like. When the fetal position, I was like, oh, God. Yeah, so, uh, yeah we did the Birdly demo yeah. done at Cafe Art Science yeah. a while oh, ago, and it was nice. really cool. Is you're basically laying horizontally, face mm-hmm. down, mm-hmm. and you've got your arms in 
a little straps that are like mechanized bird wings. Yeah. Wow. And then they've got, you know, you've got the VR goggles on, you've got headsets so you can hear the sound, yeah. and then the thing you're laying on actually pivots. Oh, so if no. you start to lean down oh. forward, you lean down forward, and the speed of your arms... I saw this. Yeah. Oh, and then, I have seen this. And this, this is, crazy. it seems so silly when you're looking at it and you're not in it. Yeah. They've got like a fan that pivots a little bit, and you're like, ah, oh, that's cheesy. But when you're in it and the wind changes, Oh man, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I've stolen that, so I have twin girls, and when I pick them up and we're in the airplane, I blow in their faces. Yeah. Because I was like, this was such a great thing. Yeah. So I want to maybe pivot. VR to real world. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. I want to pivot a little bit into neuroscience and your mm. brain understanding because I think that when we talk about experience design right now, a lot of our clients, they're coming from like this graphic design understanding or mm -hmm. you know maybe motion design understanding, but what we're actually talking about is a gigantic leap in what design means, right? Because it's about understanding the brain. So Justin's experience made me think about it, which was what, it's almost like if we think about screens or, or, or just like depth of experience, where Justin was when he didn't, he, he switched off, right? It's like he didn't realize he was in this experience anymore. What can we play with in that space? And has yeah. there been any research that you've come across that's cool? Oh, um, I'll give a short answer before Trevor gives a long answer. But uh, <laughs> I, I really haven't tapped into this at all. The one thing that I really firmly believe is that if, if VR is going to make a permanent landing, it's going to be here in Boston with the amount of research that we put into neurosciences and healthcare in general, and especially with the amount of developers here on this side of the country, I think that there's ample opportunity between research and uh, future projects that could be developed using all of this research we're talking about. This is when I do the long answer. <laughs> so I think from my experience in both VR and AR, the biggest thing that you talk about tricking your brain I think it pretty much comes down to movement right now. That's the first hurdle that we have. Um, primarily being, if you're in an experience like Plank, you're able to look around, you're able to move yourself. Mm -hmm. But if you're in an experience, we had one, we did a demo, it was like a roller coaster. Um, I started the experience standing up and then our founder, Kevin, was like, I think you should sit down for this one. <laughs> and I was like, nah, I'll be fine. And it started, and I couldn't stay on my feet, and he had to put a stool under me to sit. Um, I think a big, the biggest hurdle is movement, because your brain is thinking, as soon as there's that disconnect between what your brain is thinking you're doing and what you're actually doing, it's immediate nausea. Yes. Um, I don't know if you guys have messed around with, but the PlayStation VR is actually pretty impressive. Um, and there's one experience that's called rigs, which is essentially um, you're in a mech and it's a sport, very similar to like soccer, um, but it really plays on the fact that movement is very fast um, and it's trying to be like you're on a pitch. So they want it to be very hectic, very frenetic, mm. and the movement is just like you, you can only be in it for like three minutes unless <laughs> until you get used to it. Right. So I think we either need to build hardware that can aid in that. Um, I know like an Omni um, treadmill mm. is something that people have talked about forever. Um, even haptic feedback can be really powerful, but there has to be some type of connect to bridge your brain not knowing what your legs are doing and what your neck is doing and the actual experience. Because until then, I think there's a lot that cannot be done comfortably. So. I yeah, totally that's, agree. that's yeah. a great point. <laughs> yeah. So, like when the iPhone came out, mm -hmm. people were already using Blackberries, and they right. loved Blackberries. And and people at first thought like, oh well, it's cool because you've got a, a screen that's bigger. But it was really the jump from something like a keyboard where you have to learn how to use it to mm -hmm. something that's intuitive, where you're like, oh, I want I want this thing to move over here. I'm gonna flick. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna pinch and zoom. I'm gonna swipe. Right. Um, and that is sort of what was the core of the success of it was the intuitive usability. Right. Um, which we're definitely not there yet with the AR VR. Mm -hmm. Like to a point that you can at least learn how to do that. But I'm I don't know that it's that easy or even possible to trick to tell your brain like well when you have this thing on when you move no. the stuff around you doesn't move right. right but when you don't have that thing on everything moves so be careful like, your brain's <laughs> not like oh right yeah yeah, 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 yeah we're good it's, it's almost like we're really only scratching the surface of VR right now from, from 
my two cents, but it's almost like the Nintendo Power Glove, if you guys mm-hmm. remember that. Like, that was God. very forward-thinking, but that whole thing was nauseating. Completely right. nauseating. Right. Granted, I was like five or six when that <laughs> came out, and I turned it on once, but mm-hmm. um, I did some research back into it, and the reason why it failed was it failed to adopt some sort of mainstream, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it just said, here's this really futuristic product, mm-hmm. what do you make of it? And it failed almost mm-hmm. in the same way that Google Glass failed. Right. They just threw it out into the public and said, here you go, and nobody knew what to do with it, so nobody used it. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. whereas the duck hunt gun succeeded because it mimicked something that you were already used to. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I Gr- think great game by the way. Yeah. <laughs> to jump off what you were saying about the iPhone, I bore my roommates, they're both very musical and I'm very technological, so it's like bumping. Um, but talking about when the iPhone and that was kind of the start of building this type of touchscreen like language like mm. we all kind of share that language Definitely. of and you guys are designers so you know that of pinching of tapping of double tapping now we're in this force push kind of like l- there's a language mm. there that everyone shares that even on like a touchpad um but with vr we haven't really built that no. language yet there's right. no there's no interaction in, guidelines right there's no guidelines there's no book that someone can open and say all right if i'm doing movement or if i'm trying to get someone to like do this and discover something that's hasn't been founded yet right. so i think that talking about the neuroscience like i think once that language is built just like it was when the iphone came out i think that's where the door is going right because mm-hmm. there's interaction principles but then there's brain principles exactly <laughs> like they have to merge right um we have to unfortunately wrap because we have another meeting. Um, but guys, this has been a really great conversation. It's been amazing. Yeah, really appreciate it. We would love to work on a freaking VR project with you sometime. It'd be awesome. We'd have to do a lottery to get the people on it. I mean, it'd be <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let us know. Let's uh, keep the conversations yeah. going. And thanks for having us, guys. This Definitely. Great. Cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming over. Yeah. Cool. Appreciate it. The Intrepid Podcast is produced by Intrepid, a mobile design, development, and strategy firm with offices in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and New York City. Our intro music is by Forrest James. You can visit us on the web at intrepid.io slash podcast and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash intpd. If you'd like to be a guest of the podcast, visit our website or email us at podcast at intrepid.io.